When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. Hello there, listeners. Welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian, and you're listening to episode 398 of Sustainable Minimalists, a show about intentional and eco-friendly minimalist living. On today's show, we're discussing three strategies to not fill your home with clutter. Now, before we do that, we need to party. And that is because today is the last day of August. If you are listening at or near release date and you participated in our August decluttering challenge, give yourself a round of applause, a pat on the back. Oh my goodness, you made it. You did it. And so on today's show, I have a two-part show for you. Part one is a challenge wrap-up. I'm offering up some of my thoughts. I'm offering up some participants' thoughts as to how the month went, as well as some lasting wisdom. And then in part two of today's show, we're discussing three strategies that we've never discussed before on the show as to how we can move forward and not refill our homes with clutter. Now, if you don't want to talk about the challenge anymore, maybe you're sick of hearing about it, maybe you didn't do it, maybe you just want to move on and you don't care about challenge talk, then go ahead and use your podcast browser's forward button and meet us at around the 12-minute mark of today's episode, and you'll get right into part two of today's show. So if you don't care about the challenge talk, skip ahead to minute 12. And if you're here with me for challenge talk, then let's just get right into it right now. I pulled challenge participants, and you all tended to say the same things. So the first challenge truth that the majority of us, the vast majority of us agreed upon is that the challenge was super motivating and having a friend or a partner or a kid to do it with us was key for accountability. Brielle said that the challenge motivated her to keep decluttering even when she thought she had nothing left to declutter. And like so many of us, right, Brielle also found that she always has more to declutter. I found that as well. And Alicia said that, yes, the challenge was harder than she expected, but she did it with friends and the friends were extremely helpful as she needed the motivation to keep going. Now, some challengers tweaked the rules in really smart ways. Alicia, again, said that instead of getting rid of the specific number of items per day, 
she and her husband instead made it their goal to get rid of the total number of items, 490 for her, by the end of the month. And this had benefits, right? On the days where she didn't have the time or the motivation, she didn't have to do as much. She could just do, she could just make up for what she didn't do the day before on a day where she had more time and motivation. Now, other listeners went backwards. And again, many of you wrote to me and said that when we are going to do this challenge again, perhaps next summer, we should do it backwards. And I totally agree. So this means that at the beginning of the challenge, when your motivation's high, on day one, you're decluttering not one thing, you're decluttering 31 things. And then on day two, you're decluttering 30 things and so on and so on really smart and I needed that because days 28, 29, 30, 31, I'm like, oh my goodness, this month is never going to end. So I will be doing that moving forward. Another consensus that most of us came to was the visual was super helpful. Having some sort of way to visually track your progress was helpful for us adults and especially for the kids participating. Many listeners said that coloring in squares really helped their children see what they were doing. And for me, I treated this challenge as a learning opportunity for my children. After airing my episode with Mary Simpson, it was episode 376 about teaching our kids to make decisions about their own stuff instead of secretly giving their stuff away when they're not looking. After I aired that episode, I have been thinking long and hard about how to best teach my children to distinguish their favorites from the excess. And 1000% this challenge succeeded in teaching my daughters this lesson. They were not perfect. There were certainly some tears, but overall, they really impressed me. They taught themselves how to declutter. And having that visual that listener Emily so thoughtfully put up in our closed Facebook group, thank you, Emily, for that visual, because that visual allowed my daughters to track their own progress. And I should say, too, the visual definitely helped them, but it also really helped me to see where I had come and where I was going, especially when the days got tough. That visual was, again, a motivation. And so for me personally, my biggest takeaway from this month of challenge is that I did set out to declutter, but what I really did was I tackled those areas in my home that I tend to neglect. I found myself taking one space per day. On the days where I didn't have a lot of time, I just took on a drawer, let's say. I cleaned out a drawer. On days where I had more time, I tackled those places that I've been avoiding for years. So that basement closet where I just throw things and close the door. Or that awkward space under the stairs where I keep my craft supplies that I have not decluttered or organized since I moved in nine years ago. (laughs) Challenger Amy said that she did a good job simultaneously of reorganizing several places in her home while decluttering. Amy said she would declutter a few things in a particular area, realize that the stuff that she did want to keep was not particularly organized. And so then after decluttering, she would organize. And Olivia shared similar sentiments. Olivia said that the main room she expected to declutter was the craft room because it was messy. And once she got down there, she realized she didn't have so much to declutter and actually throw away or donate 
as she had thought. Her job then was mainly reorganizing the space so that she gained better mental clarity. And she did gain mental clarity. And I would agree with Amy and Olivia's experience. For me, I decluttered, yes, but the decluttering was a means by which to organize these neglected spaces in my home that got out of control. The catch-all chaos spaces <laughs> that I tackled, I didn't realize it until after I cleaned these spaces up, but they stressed me out subconsciously every time I passed them. I am indeed sensitive to visual clutter. And if that's true, that these spaces, when they're messy, stress me out, the converse is also true. Once I cleaned them up, the spaces had the ability to provide contentment. They calmed me down. This is exactly what Shira Gill said on our episode that aired two days ago on Tuesday, which is that caring for the neglected spaces in our homes is an act of self-care. It's a gift of peace that we give ourselves. And so at the end of the day, this challenge reminded me that even as a card-carrying, self-proclaimed minimalist, clutter does still accumulate in my home. Clutter has a way of doing that for all of us, doesn't it? Even though we don't want it, we don't think it's coming in, it somehow seeps in through the cracks. <laughs> it's sneaky like that. Our homes just demand maintenance. And this maintenance even though we may very likely not have the energy, not have the time, not have the mental space to make these decluttering decisions, even though all of that is likely true, maintaining our homes through first decluttering and then organizing and then tidying up the things that are out of their organizing places, all of that is so worth the effort, isn't it? Because on the other side of the decluttering, organizing, and tidying, there's peace to be found there. And so, yes, clutter is going to accumulate. That is just life. Maybe your mother dropped off a big box of random stuff during her last visit. Or maybe your son came home with a big bag of sticks after a day at camp. Or maybe your friends tend to shop every time you get together. So you bought some stuff and now you're bringing it home. Clutter just accumulates. That is a truth of life. But, and this is a big and important but, and this is how we're going to spend the rest of our time together today. There are ways we can prevent at least some of it from coming into our homes. And so here we are at part two of today's conversation, which is three ways, three new ways that we've really never touched on before to keep the clutter out, or at least keep some of it out. And the first one, Thanks to Shira, our conversation on Tuesday. The first way is to empower yourself to browse without buying. Now, if you haven't listened to Tuesday's episode with professional organizer Shira Gill yet, oh my gosh, what are you waiting for? Go back and listen to it. Episode 397, it was called What Organizers Do. Shira and I briefly touched upon browsing without buying. And I wanted to expand upon this because I think it is such an important life skill. It is totally possible to visit an adorable shop without taking out your wallet. It is totally possible to walk around the mall and not try anything on. 
it is totally possible to appreciate an item's beauty and not buy it. Now, shoppertainment, right? The combination of shopping and entertainment, it happens often that many of us buy stuff for entertainment, perhaps because we're bored. That's a thing. And you know what else is a thing? You've heard it before. Retail therapy. But here's the key. You do not have to buy anything to reap the dopamine-induced benefits of retail therapy. So shopping, let's all pretend we're in the mall, right? Shopping stimulates the senses. There's the smell of the Yankee Candle Shop, right? There's the bright lights in the walkway areas. There's the flattering lights in the dressing room. There's colorful displays. It all together is an imaginative sensory experience. And so many of us engage in shoppertainment because shoppertainment removes us from our own reality. Now this, if you're wondering, translates online too. Those perfectly curated online products that are professionally photographed, they can get our imagination going, can't they? We project ourselves into these satisfying moments, into these satisfying environments. Well, research finds that dopamine, which by the way is the feel-good neurotransmitter, dopamine is released even when a purchase is never made. Dopamine can and is released when you're just browsing in a store or scrolling online or even window shopping. Not buying something can also positively impact your mood. And the reason why, according to research, is that the simple anticipation is key. Maybe you'll receive a reward, maybe you won't, but that anticipation is what releases the dopamine. I'm going to say that another way so it's clearer. Yes, dopamine gets released when you buy something, but the point I'm making here is dopamine also gets released when you don't buy something. And that's because when you are browsing, you are delighting in possibilities. You are in that sensory experience. Your mind is allowed to imagine. Enter dopamine. And so here's your permission to delight in the possibilities that shopping can offer without buying a single thing. You can make the simple delighting in possibilities, you can make the simple browsing without buying be enough if you let it. Now in our closed Facebook group, listener Lydia mentioned recently that she's feeling a bit lonely because her circle of friends and coworkers they tend to get together and shop. And Lydia feels like she wants to hang out with more like-minded individuals. But first off, she doesn't know where to find such like-minded individuals. And two, she's feeling a bit isolated because her friends are all about shoppertainment. And so I say this to Lydia and I say this to anyone and everyone who's feeling this way. I wanna tell you that it's not about sitting in your home and never socializing and being lonely and depressed. That's not what I want and hope for you. I want and I hope for you that you get to a place where you can browse with your friends and not buy, where you can socialize and be an integral part of your friend group without feeling that 
quiet pressure to buy something. I believe that's possible for you and for me. And at the same time, Lydia and anybody else who feels like the values of their friend group may not perhaps align with their values, I hear you. I say perhaps we need to work on finding different friends, and I know that's so hard to do as an adult. And so that's another topic for another day. But Lydia, you can browse and not buy. Delighting in possibilities can be enough if you let it. We're going to take our sponsor break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about creating a chuck it list. Chuck it list. I know that's kind of a tongue twister. We're going to create a chuck it list after a quick sponsor break. Hello, Sustainable Minimalist listeners. Are you committed to living a greener and simpler life? Well, meet Home Threads, your ally in more sustainable and minimalist home decor. As the total destination for decor and furniture, Home Threads helps you define your minimalist lifestyle while respecting the planet. Discover their exclusive Haven collection. They use many sustainable materials without compromising on style. And here's the best part. Home Threads always has the best value. It was time. After nine years of living in our home, it was time to replace our outdoor furniture. And my husband and I, we went to Home Threads. We have a Home Threads patio umbrella and a new bench. And oh my goodness, we are so in love Create a home that reflects your commitment to the environment. Visit homethreads.com slash sustainable and get a code for 15% off your first order. Homethreads.com slash sustainable. Love where you live. So many of us have chaotic closets that are crammed full of clothing items and yet somehow we still have nothing to wear. Well, upgrading to high quality and affordable pieces from Quince when you need them is a game changer. They offer organic cotton sweaters and washable silk tops. My 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters are my go-to. Not only are they affordable, but the quality is top-notch They wear better than the cashmere sweaters that are double their price. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash sustainable podcast for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash sustainable podcast to get free shipping and 365 day returns. One more time, quince.com slash sustainable podcast. And we're back. Before the break, we discussed the importance of learning how to browse without buying. And now we're on to the creation of our own chuck it list. Now, what are we chucking? What are we getting rid of? We're chucking anything and everything that's not aligned with our authentic selves. Now, if you're like me, you may perhaps have the beginnings of a bucket list on your mind. And by the way, Usually bucket lists have to do with experiences you want to accomplish in your life. Skydive, a big trip, etc. But for the context of our conversation today, I would love it if you considered the bucket list as encompassing all your hopes and dreams about who you'll be and what you'll accomplish in, let's just say for the sake of time constraints, let's just say in the next 10 years. So take a minute. 
right now and think about where you want to be in 10 years. Really think about it. So I'm 39 at the moment. In 10 years, I'll be 49, but I'm going to round up to 50 because, again, 50 is a nice even number. So where do I want to be at age 50? And as you're thinking about this for you, I will just say that, yes, I have some mental ideas regarding the skills and knowledge I want to obtain, the hobbies I want to take up and master, the places I want to go, et cetera, et cetera. I have a vision, let's say, for 50-year-old Stephanie. (laughs) have a big vision. 50-year-old Stephanie has finally run that 330 marathon. 50-year-old Stephanie has hiked Mount Kilimanjaro. I don't know where I got that, but it's solid in my mind. 50-year-old Stephanie has some chickens. She speaks conversational Spanish because she taught herself. I've never taken a class of Spanish in my whole life. That's a true statement. But somehow, some way, 50-year-old Stephanie knows Spanish. 50-year-old Stephanie has finally learned to dress her body and look effortlessly chic and timeless every time she leaves the house. Again, crazy, but this is, in my mind, 50-year-old Stephanie. And finally, 50-year-old Stephanie, of course, has two well-adjusted, happy teenage daughters who never get into trouble, and they're just the apples of my eye. I say all this to say that envisioning our future selves in this way, of course, can be inspirational, and doing so can encourage us to chase new experiences, but envisioning our future selves can also give us those irritating reminders that we can't do everything, we can't be everything, we cannot accomplish all our goals, because first of all, money is finite, and more specifically, Our time is finite. There's just not enough hours in the day to do all the things we want to do and accomplish all the things we want to accomplish. Now, there is an age-old time management trick, and that is to think of your goals as rocks that you have to fit into the glass jar of your life. The advice, of course, so picture, you got a mason jar. You are a mason jar. Your life is a mason jar right? The advice is to put in all the big rocks, the important goals first, because otherwise you'll fill your jar with little unimportant pebbles and then you won't be able to fit in the big rocks later, okay? That's the age-old wisdom. But author Oliver Berkman, he has a book called 4,000 Weeks. Berkman does not like this advice. And the reason why is sometimes, excuse me, Oftentimes, it's a big rock that we need to move to the chuck it list. It's the big rocks that we need to let go of. And so when we are talking about chuck it lists today, what we're really talking about is shedding the small pebbles and the big rocks that do not align with your authentic self. I want you, when we're talking about chuck it lists today, to be empowered to shed any and everything that's not your true you. Because when you shed the skin that's inauthentic, you're also shedding the clutter that comes along with these inauthentic goals. I'll get to that in a minute. Let me just say here that, yeah, it is hard to discard these ideas and shed this skin, isn't it? Doing so can elicit sadness and regret. And it can make us all viscerally aware that 
time is flying and we can't get the past back, right? When I think about my Kilimanjaro goal, that is a very expensive trip. I know, because I've looked into it. Thinking about this trip forces me to confront the financial constraints that are quite real in my life. Facing these financial constraints in turn forces me to remember that there are plenty of circumstances in life beyond my control. And so, okay, I like the idea of having chickens, but I'm not sure I like the day-to-day of owning chickens. And by shedding that big rock in the glass jar of my life, I'm also freeing myself up from the pressure of buying the hen house, of buying the chicken feed, of buying the chicks, etc., etc., I'm no longer tethering myself to a future of chicken ownership. I'm also no longer tethering myself to the accumulation of the things that would make chicken ownership a reality for me. Same with my big rock idea of being fashionable and chic. I say this all the time, but I am not a fashionable person. And if at 39, I'm not a fashionable person, it's quite likely that at 50, I'm not going to be fashionable either, right? By putting this aspiration to be fashionable on my chuck it list means I am freeing myself from constantly buying clothes and staying up to date on fashion trends and updating my wardrobe to be actually chic. When I put this on my chuck it list, what I'm really doing is thinking about all the things that I am freed from buying. And so, yeah, I know my authentic self is not fashionable. I am questioning whether my authentic self has a flock of chickens. And when I shed these aspirations, I'm giving myself permission to literally not buy into all the things that I'll need to make these aspirations happen. It's more than that, though, isn't it? Because when we shed our inauthentic and aspirational skin, we experience what I like to call a sweet loss. We are losing parts of our tightly held image, yes, but we are also making room in that mason jar for only those authentic rocks and pebbles, for the rocks and pebbles that truly align. It's a shift in perspective away from collecting all the rocks and instead intentionally choosing to collect only the rocks that make your soul sing. I'm not sure how many of you who spent the last month decluttering found stuff in your homes that was just inauthentic. It just didn't fit. I certainly found an awful lot of those items, items that were passed down to me that don't fit with my life, don't fit with the season of life I'm in, but also just don't fit in with my life at all. I have like a decanter. Listen, I love wine, but I do not love wine enough to decant it. That's just one example that comes to my mind. I found a lot of stuff that doesn't fit with my life. And so I invite you to give yourself permission to remove the items on your bucket list and in your home that don't fit. Don't feel bad about it either. Getting rid of aspirational ideas about who you think you should be is in some ways the same as getting rid of clutter, isn't it? If it doesn't jive with your true self, clear it out. If it doesn't jive with the life you want or the life that you have, if it doesn't jive with your true self, clear it out and feel the power that comes with that. 
We're moving on to tip number three to prevent ourselves from filling our homes that we recently decluttered with more junk, and that is to create a don't want list. Now, before we go further, I have to give credit where credit is due. This is Joshua Becker's idea. Joshua Becker of Becoming Minimalist recently wrote a post on the don't want list, and I will link to it in the show notes for anybody who wants to read it. But many of you listening right now have already learned one of life's most important lessons. And the lesson is this. There is a special joy to be found in not wanting things. And the reason is because contentment is the state of being satisfied with what you already have. As much as advertisers want you to believe differently, contentment really is as simple as finding a way to be satisfied with what you've got. And so how on earth can we be content with what we got? In our ultra-commercialized world in which we're enticed to buy something or many things to solve all our whims, all our problems, big, small, how on earth can we embrace the countercultural lifestyle of being content with what we already have? Well, Joshua Becker suggests that we make a don't want list on a sheet of paper or perhaps on your note app on your phone. Joshua Becker suggests that we begin with a totally absurd item, a rocket ship, let's say, or a school bus a totally absurd item that you have zero interest in owning, and then list as many things as you can that you don't want. So start absurd, and as you're making the list, maybe make it more realistic. So let's do this for me. Okay, I'll show you how it's done. Some totally absurd thing that I just never want is a restaurant. I do not want to own a restaurant. Way too much work. I can barely feed my own family, let alone feed other families. I do not want a restaurant. What else don't I want? I do not want a Birkin bag. To pay $12,000 plus for a bag? First of all, that's nuts. Second of all, doing so would mean I would have to sacrifice in many other areas of my life And on top of that, I would be so stressed about this $12,000 bag and I'd worry that it would be getting scratched or ruined. So I doubt I'd even be able to enjoy owning this bag that I personally don't even think is all that attractive anyway. But again, I'm not fashionable. So perhaps it's really attractive and I just don't get it. I don't want a Birkin bag. You know what else I don't want? I don't want a boat. Way too much maintenance. I'm at the age in life in which people in my circle of friends are very slowly starting to get boats. I don't want to keep up with the Joneses if the Joneses are getting boats. Way too much work. Again, I don't want a bigger house either. My house is perfectly fine in size the way it is. I can barely take care of the house I've got. I do not need more square footage. I do not want any more pairs of uncomfortable shoes. I'm putting that on my don't want list. Uncomfortable shoes are impractical in my life, personally. I do not want more towels. I already have plenty. So do you see here how I am going from something like totally crazy, absurd, a restaurant, and I'm slowly, as I'm talking, you know, talking about more attainable items, shoes, towels, etc. Joshua Becker says that the longer his don't want list grows, 
the easier it is for him to reject empty consumerism and enjoy more contentment. I agree. I believe this to be a very simple but also a very profound mindset shift. We have been trained since birth to make Christmas lists and birthday lists and wish lists, etc. What do you want for the holidays? What do you want for your birthday, etc., etc., right? All these lists are ways of getting us to think about, even better, a better way to say that would be getting us to ruminate on what we lack, what we don't have. So let's flip the script. What do you not want and why? When we get in the habit of listing, either on paper or on our notes app or even just in our head, when we get in the habit of identifying things we don't want, this is step one to attaining contentment, which is, again, the state of being at peace inside your soul because you already know bone deep that you have everything you need. And certainly, if you decluttered this month, you know you have everything you need. And so the bottom line for today's episode is super simple. If you joined us on our August challenge, you just did an awful lot of good hard work in your home. Don't fill it up with junk again. Tomorrow, we will be back for headlines. And next week on the show is Buy for Life Week on the podcast. Buy for Life Week is a working title. I haven't really nailed down what we're calling next week's theme, but there is a theme. There will be two episodes next week, one on Tuesday and one on Thursday, all about living the anti-disposable life. I will see you tomorrow for headlines. As always, come on over, say hello to me on social media, send me an email, say hey. I love hearing from listeners. See you tomorrow and take care. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.